Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with some good news. President Biden's signature legislative priority, the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, is inching closer to passage. The bill, which would provide much-needed cash directly to people, cities, and states, could pass the House as early as this week, with the Senate expected to follow shortly thereafter, along with direct checks, paid leave, and additional unemployment insurance. The bill also includes a transformative monthly child tax credit and a minimum wage increase, both expected to help lift millions of children and adults out of poverty. Now, there's overwhelming public support for this legislation. Even 60 percent of Republicans in the country back the bill. That's outside the sausage making factory of Washington, inside the Beltway. Elected Republicans who clearly are uncomfortable with the prospect that Biden actually might get something done. Well, they're desperate to launch a counterattack against the Democratic president. At this point, attacking any old thing will do. But we're also talking about Republicans here. So the go to is the same go to as usual. Pick out the women and the people of color and just go off. And so several Republicans have decided to target Biden's cabinet nominees of color, like Deb Holland, who would become the first indigenous American to become interior secretary, and Javier Becerra, Biden's nominee for health and human services, and Neera Tanden, his Southeast Asian American nominee for OMB. Holland got an unexpected boost from Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia today, who announced that he would support her nomination after signaling some early discomfort. This comes almost a week after Manchin announced that he would oppose near attendance nomination, leading many, including the person in this chair talking to you right now, wondering where Joe Manchin was hiding for the last four years when Donald Trump nominated terrible, unqualified troll after terrible, terrible, unqualified troll. But Manchin's so far lonely fight to tamp down on mean tweets from mouthy women seems to be working, at least for now. Earlier today, a budget committee vote that would have moved Tandon's nomination to the Senate floor was postponed. Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders told reporters why, in a simple one-liner, she didn't have the votes. President Biden was asked what he thought of the slow pace of confirmation for his cabinet members, and here's what he said. I am, but uh, I don't so much blame it on the Senate. I blame it on the failure to have a transition that was rational. Uh, as you know, previous administrations had a significant number of their, uh, their cabinet uh, confirmed before they even were sworn in. That's the tradition. But we're doing fine. I think we're going to be in good shape. Joining me now is White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Uh, Mr. Klain, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Look, with all due respect to the president, there is having a transition that's rational, and then there's having a party across the aisle that's rational. And even during what would have been a normal transition, they actually had a majority. So the thinking is they would have fought even harder against the women and the people of color than they're fighting now because they would have been able to defeat them. So, so let's zero in on Neera Tanden specifically. Neera Tanden hasn't done anything worse than what 
Mr. Grinnell, Rick Grinnell, who was who, you know, Joe Manchin supported when he was nominated by the former president. Why do you, is she's getting this very specific fight that no one else is getting? Do you feel confident that she will be able to overcome it despite Manchin? Well, we're fighting very hard for Nira. And, you know, we uh, had Senator Grassley tonight announce that he's open minded on Nira's confirmation. Uh, we've got other Republican senators we're talking to. Uh, look, we know that getting someone confirmed in a 50 50 Senate is hard. But Nira Tandon would be a superb budget director. She'd be one of the most outstanding budget directors we've had. She knows policy. She knows all the how to get something done in Washington. Uh, she's a great candidate for the job. And certainly we're fighting our guts out to get her confirmed. And I mean, Republicans don't care about that. I think let's just stipulate to that. Right. They care about winning these sort of fights that are more about messaging for their side. And so targeting these, you know, women, people of color, it, it's on message for them. Um, would Joe Biden be willing to make Neera Tandon acting OMB director if they continue to fight? And if Joe Manchin continues to stand in the way? Well, Joy, we can't make someone acting director of an agency who has not been Senate confirmed. That's the law. We can't make them acting director of an agency unless they are a career official who's been there 90 days or more. So if Neera Tandon is not confirmed, she will not become the budget director. We will find some other place for her to serve the administration that doesn't require Senate confirmation. But let me be clear. We're going to get Neera Tandon confirmed. That's what we're working for. And she will be she will prove her critics wrong as an outstanding budget director that works with people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, that's what uh, I think her record truly shows. Yeah, there are some hot tweets there, of course, which she has apologized for. But I think her career of service, her work on public policy, uh, her progress, particularly in, in really advancing the cause of health care coverage in America, which is such a so bound up in the budget uh, business, I, I think she will be a superb OMB director. And let me ask you about Joe Manchin, uh, uh, Senator Joe Manchin, because, you know, politics is complicated, right? And when you have leverage, you use it. What do you think he's using his leverage for? Is, is this about near Because, you know, even she doesn't seem to think or the people, you guys don't even seem to think that it's specifically about her. He has even said it's not about her personally. Is he leveraging what he sees as his power right now to get something else? Is there something else he wants, something on the $15 an hour issue, um, something on oil? Is there something else he's trying to get from you guys? Not, not that I, I don't think so. I take Senator Manchin at his word. He is a senator who be, does believe we need to have more uh, civility, more cooperation between the parties. That's his objection to uh, Neera Tandon. I obviously disagree with him. I think Neera would actually add to that dialogue in Washington. I actually think she'd do a good job, notwithstanding the tweets, her history of her work, uh, shows that. But but I look, Senator Manchin, he doesn't he doesn't answer to us at the White House. He answers to the people of West Virginia. He believes this is the right vote for him. We obviously disagree, but we've been fortunate to have his support on other nominations. Obviously, uh, we're obviously uh, working hard to get a support for the American Rescue Plan. Uh, I respect Joe Manchin's right to cast these votes. He's an independent minded senator. That's what he's going to do. We at the White House, we're going to make our case to him and all the other Democrats and Republicans in the Senate on these key votes. That's our job. It's their it's our job to make the case. It's their job to decide and vote. And are you confident that you'll hold Kristen Cinema and some of the other more conservative Democrats? On the Tandon nomination? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I do believe that if we can, uh, you know, get uh, get a Republican to be the 50th vote, I do think we will be able to hold the rest of the Democrats. 
And I do think we'll get NERA confirmed if we can find that Republican vote. That's what we're working on right now. Uh, and that's that's what we're what we're trying to get done here. OK, let, let me move on uh, to the the, the the package. We talked about you know, in the open, yeah. talked a little bit about the one point nine trillion dollar package. Are you confident that the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage increase will be preserved? Well, as you know, we're all waiting on bated breath for a ruling from the Senate parliamentarian, which at least when I walked over here had not yet come down. Uh, her ruling is going to have a big impact on the future of that provision. The president believes we should have a $15 minimum wage. If it is ruled in order, then obviously that would allow it to move in this package. If it's ruled out of order, we're going to have to find other ways to get it done. I'm not going to guess. Isn't what the it possible? And I, I, yeah, I thought that might have come through, but we will double check that. I'll ask my producers to double check that. But if, in, for, in theory, the parliamentarian were to rule against uh, the administration's plan for $15 an hour, can't the vice president override the parliamentarian? Hasn't that happened in the past? Not sure if it's ever happened in the past. Certainly, that's not something we would do. We're going to honor the rules of the Senate and work within that system to get this bill passed. This is a $1.9 trillion package that is vital to getting this country in a position to crush the virus, in a position to get people vaccinated, in a position to get the schools open, and to help all those people that you talked about at the start of the show. We are going to get this package passed. That's our highest priority. We want the minimum wage as part of it. That's what the president proposed. But we're going to work with the Senate to get this package passed, obviously the House first, then the Senate to get this package passed, because our country's ability to fight this virus and to get the economy going again turns on passing this package. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, foreign policy. You talked about the coronavirus. Um, there is news out that's talking about the fact that one of the United States' closest allies, Israel, um, is, is doing a great job vaccinating its own folks, its own people, but that the Palestinians are not being allowed to take advantage of that, that they are restricted because obviously Israel is the occupying authority and controls anything that moves in and out of Gaza and the West Bank. Um, so if they're not offering vaccinations to Palestinians, there's no way for Palestinians to get it. Is this something that President Biden plans to bring up with um, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu? I don't believe it came up in their call. Uh, Joe, I wasn't a participant in the call. Uh, as you can imagine, our principal focus right now was on vaccinating the American people, trying to get our vaccination rate up. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, that, that is our primary focus. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And Supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, Supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. But do you think that it is uh, unfair or bad policy for our ally to be I'm, doing that within their own country I'm, where they are the occupying authority? I'm just not familiar with what's going on in Israel and their vaccination program, Joy. 
What about, uh, and let's talk about the Saudis. Um, are, can we expect, just say, just in foreign policy for just one more uh, question, sort of foreign policy, um, the Jamal Khashoggi uh, murder, um, is that something that came up in the conversations or that will come up in conversations with the leadership of Saudi Arabia? Well, uh, as you know, uh, uh, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, has agreed to release a public report uh, on that that's uh, forthcoming uh, in the days ahead. And uh, uh, at some point in time, the president will talk to uh, the king of Saudi Arabia. Uh, but I'll let that call take place and then we'll we'll read out the call after it takes place. Thank you very much. And let's uh, talk about let's come back to domestic policy. Um, we've seen what Republicans have prioritized, even in the hearings where we're talking about the January 6th insurrection. Their focus is to try to essentially affirm what the insurrectionists wanted, which is that they don't like the fact that these predominantly non-white communities made a decision to vote for President Biden. They don't like the fact that that held. And so Republicans all over the country are pushing laws that will make it much harder for black and brown folks, for indigenous folks, for young people to vote. How high is H.R. 1 on the priority list? Because that is the vehicle through which we could see some reinforcement for the Voting Rights Act. How high is that up on the priority list? I know you guys have immigration that you're dealing with, cabinet nominations. Yeah. When can we expect some action on H.R. 1 and on well, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? Yeah, H.R. Uh, 1 is a high priority for us. Uh, obviously, right now, the central priority is passing this rescue package to beat the virus, to get the economy going again. But as you say, Joy, it's not our only priority. We've also sent to the Hill immigration legislation. H.R. 1 is very, very important to us. H.R. 3 uh, on prescription drug coverage is also important to us. So uh, we know that there are people in our country who are trying to suppress the right to vote. We know that we need to fight that uh, at the federal level, at the state and local level. And so obviously standing up for democracy is what the Biden campaign was about. I mean, the campaign was a fight for the soul of America. That soul includes democracy. We saw an unprecedented challenge to our democracy on Election Day and in the days that followed between them, obviously most dramatically on January 6th, but in the entire period. And so we're, we've been fighters for democracy this whole campaign. We're going to continue to fight for democracy from the White House. And my last question to you, Ron Klain, how satisfied is the White House, is the president with the pace of action on Capitol Hill on his priorities? Um, you saw him. We, we played a little clip of him commenting about the process being too lengthy in terms of the transition. How satisfied uh, is the White House with the pace of now, you know, legislation and nominations and everything getting through? Look, we are hopefully just weeks away from final passage of the most progressive uh, domestic legislation in a generation. To get that done in the first 100 days would be amazing. To get that done in the first 50 days will be incredible. We're also trying to get our key appointees confirmed. Uh, we got two more confirmed yesterday. I think it uh, looks like we're on track to get our Secretary of Energy confirmed, uh, our Secretary of Education confirmed. So, you know, it, we always wish things could go faster. Everyone wishes things could go faster. But I think we're making a lot of progress, both on the legislation and on the confirmations. Uh, and, uh, you know, generally getting good bipartisan votes for most of our nominees. We will keep uh, up on it and hopefully you'll come back. Ron Klain, thank you very much for some of your time this evening. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. For, thanks for having me. And Joy. up next. It. Cheers. Of course, you're welcome back anytime. And up next on the readout, the Republicans are now. Well, they're just completely divorced from reality, saying the siege at the Capitol didn't even really happen. And QAnon, well, they don't really exist because they don't have a website. It's just totally bananas. And Ted Cancun Cruz calls President Biden's HHS nominee, Javier Becerra, an unqualified trial lawyer. 
Oh, Ted. This is the same Ted Cruz who voted to confirm a physician to oversee housing policy, an education secretary bent on destroying public schools, and a climate change denier to run the EPA. But no, no, Ted Cruz, as hypocritical and disingenuous and just plain weird as you are, you are still not the absolute worst. And I know you're trying so hard. The big reveal is coming up. And be sure to join us on Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern for a special edition of The Readout on racial disparities in the COVID crisis. Go to msnbc.com slash townhall to be a part of our virtual audience and to submit questions for our experts. The Readout continues after this. While Democrats pursue legitimate inquiries into the Capitol siege, Republicans continue to gaslight the country. After backing the former disgraced president's big lie, they're actively trying to either downplay the insurrection or deflect blame from those who deserve it, including themselves. Not surprisingly, in today's hearing on domestic terrorism, we heard a lot of whataboutism from Republican members who didn't seem to want to discuss right-wing violence. I fear that my colleagues on the other side will simply want to focus on right-wing domestic terrorism. To discuss one kind of extremism and look the other way on another, as the Democrats are trying to do today and have been doing for almost a year, is frankly dishonest and it's wrong. We don't need to completely ignore others that were in the Capitol, as my friends across the aisle seem to be wanting to do. It's just the latest obfuscation from the GOP following the Capitol riot. Yesterday, Senator Ron Johnson, who apparently represents the planet Coosbane because he's long since given up his home on our planet, pushed the preposterous claim that the insurrection was really the work of fake Trump supporters, disguised as real ones. Very clever of them carrying all those Donald Trump signs. Then there's far-right professional conspiracy troll and Trump pardon for his crimes recipient, Dinesh D'Souza, who says the mean old Democrats exaggerated the violence of January 6th. Even during the impeachment, we saw all those concocted videos by the Democrats making this look like it was a scene out of Braveheart. But you had to doctor the videos to create the impression, because in reality, this was a bunch of rowdy people walking through hallways. Bertha says what? Did I mention five people died as a result of the January 6th insurrection? It was a deadly insurrection. Meanwhile, on Fox News, Tucker Carlson is busy Tucker Carlsoning, trying to downplay the pernicious role that the QAnon movement plays in spreading disinformation. Never mind that prosecutors have repeatedly cited the influence of QAnon in connection with the Capitol siege. But Tucker, ever the intellectual giant, says QAnon cannot possibly exist. Because if it does, uh, where's the QAnon website? We spent all day trying to locate the famous QAnon which in the end we learned is not even a website. If it's out there, we could not find it. I mean, they don't even have a website. Republicans aren't trying to deflect and deny alone. They're also objecting to efforts to get a full accounting of the worst attack on our capital since 1814. Today, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell rejected House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's proposal for a 9-11 style commission, calling it Partisan by design. I'm joined now by Congressman Ted Lieu of California, who participated in today's subcommittee hearing, and Naveed Jamali, former FBI double agent and editor-at-large at Newsweek. Thank you very much. And Congressman, I'll go to you first. It's it, The sense I get of what Republicans are doing in these hearings is theater to try to destroy and disrupt the hearings. They don't seem to have any other purpose. Did you see another purpose at work? I did not. They're trying to avoid the conduct of 
the domestic terrorists that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, as well as other domestic terror incidents. And there's a very simple question and answer as to why we're looking into white supremacist groups. It's because the data shows that they're far more lethal than other domestic terrorists. And you don't have to trust me. You can simply look at the former acting director of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, who said exactly that, that white supremacist groups are far more lethal in carrying out uh, these incidents of violence. I mean, the FBI has said it. Uh, everyone who's testified on this with a national security profile has said it. You know, it, Naveed, it's it, it, it's almost as if Republicans are trying to invent. I mean, Antifa is their favorite word, apparently. They see Antifa under their beds before they go to sleep at night. Uh, and they've decided to just invent an Antifa that also stormed the Capitol or invent some fictional black group that also stormed the Capitol, that they don't exist. And there's video. Can you just go through, as somebody who's been in the FBI, who, who's, who's in the national security world, who are the greatest national security threats to the United States? Without a doubt, Joy, it is violent and extremist uh, separatists and white nationalists. You know, this is not a new trend, Joy. This is something that has been on the rise since the 1970s. It's been deprioritized. But under the Trump administration, it really gained momentum in the fact that Trump really made a big tent for all these groups of hate to come together. And look, we saw it on display on the 6th. We had Oath Keepers and Three Percenters, along with QAnon, all together, working together to storm the Capitol, something that hasn't happened, you know? And I think that this idea that there isn't, that this is an organic movement is false. I think that one of the things that should be looked at is, you know, where's the ideological base? You know, when we talk about terrorism, we know that there are foot soldiers, but there are other people like bin Laden on September 11th who are directing this, who aren't the ones who are actually flying the planes into the building. And who are those people and who's directing this? One of them is Donald Trump. Um, here's Tucker Carlson, um, just flat out refuting Merrick Garland uh, when he testified in his confirmation hearing to uh, head the Department of Justice about white supremacists being uh, to blame. There's no evidence that white supremacists were responsible for what happened on January 6th. That's a lie. And now here is the police chief, the Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sund, and other security officials um, saying white supremacists were involved in the Capitol attack. Take a listen. Would you agree that this attack involved white supremacists and extremist groups? Yes. So it's very clear, um, Representative Liu, they're, they're, they're just pretending not to hear that sort of thing. Do you think that part of the issue is that some of the people who are on these committees were placed on these committees to disrupt them because they themselves are in part to blame for the Capitol siege because they themselves supported the big lie that sent those people there? Uh, that's a great point. Uh, so these domestic terrorists on January 6th, they weren't coming for people like me because I happen to be Asian American. They were going to try to stop the counting of the Electoral College votes because of the big lie. They wanted to stop the steal. And if Republicans wanted to unify our country and reduce the risk of further political violence, all they have to say is one simple, truthful sentence. The election was not stolen. Many of them still cannot say that. And that's one reason we still have National Guard troops patrolling the Capitol in full body armor. 
And so I wonder, Naveed, what the price of this theater is, because it is just theater. They're just they're just mouthing words to theatrically support the former president um, to sort of create a fake sort of whataboutism. Let me let Val Demings. Uh, let me let me turn it over to Val Demings. She um, talked about committing co these committee members who were just playing games. So let's listen to, to Ms. Demings, Representative Demings. Aren't we tired? Aren't we as a nation exhausted? Haven't we had enough doesn't this issue deserves more than a political debate, a lackluster and half-hearted response? And if my colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to keep score, you will lose. And, you know, Representative Demings is a former law enforcement officer. She's a former mayor. I mean, uh, you know, Liz Cheney is even saying, look, guys, we got to make sure that we got to make it so we're not the party of white supremacy. It doesn't seem her party's listening. From a national security standpoint, Naveed, what are the consequences of having a party say, no, Liz Cheney, we want to be that party because we're the party of Trump. And if he's for white supremacy, so are we. What are the national security consequences of that? Well, look, we've heard everyone from the DHS, the FBI, consistently say that one of the biggest threats that faces this country from a national security standpoint is home is homegrown extremism, specifically white supremacists and white separatists. So if we can't even agree to that factual statement, which is very straightforward, there should be no daylight between anyone. When it comes to national security, this is never a, bar a partisan issue. But when you have one side that refuses to admit the factual premise that white supremacy is in fact real and is in fact a threat to our national security, how do we come together to combat it? How do we protect this country? Right now, we can't because we have a good part of the Congress that is, as Congressman Liu is saying, is refusing to even agree to the most basic, straightforward facts. It's a problem. And, Congressman, I suspect that if you go into the offices of these Republican members, they've got Fox News on churn, that when they go home, that's what they're watching or they're watching right wing media or they're reading you know, whatever, Breitbart or whatever, is part of the problem here that the incentives that your colleagues on the other side of the aisle have are all about what these media people say and that their fears are all about that because that's where their voters get their information as well. And so they can't help you and they can't participate in real in, in, in a real way in these hearings. Uh, unfortunately, you are absolutely right. It's not just that they fear the former president. It's that they fear their base. And their base is watching Fox News spewing lies. I find it really funny when he showed Tucker Carlson saying that QAnon doesn't exist because he can't find their website. He might just want to check out the Fox News website, who on February 8th published an explainer on QAnon and everything about QAnon. <laughs> so you have Fox News and Tucker Carlson spewing all sorts of stuff uh, to the base. And then that base gets angry at their Republican member of Congress threatens to take them out in the next election uh, in the primary. And that is what keeps these Republicans in fear in Congress. And I don't know how we get anywhere uh, based on that. Congressman Ted Lieu, Naveed Jamali, thank you both very much. Really appreciate your time tonight. And up next, sure, 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 we, we could have taken the easy road and just dubbed Ted Cancun Crew today's absolute worst because he's the worst. But no, we've got an even more robust and deserving candidate. You are not going to want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. After a week of terrible headlines for hapless, seditionist world traveler and 
part-time Senator Ted Cruz. Salon is reporting that a pack attached to old Cancun Cruz may be buying his books through a mystery company, possibly allowing Cruz to profit off those sales. Cruz is the worst. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just ask poor Snowflake. And clearly nobody not named Ted Cruz wants to buy his silly books. But he is not the absolute worst tonight. Another candidate is Mike Pence, who said yesterday that he maintains a strong relationship with the former president. Now, now, Pence did spend the past four years going above and beyond to praise the orange one. To know President Trump is to, is to know someone whose word is his bond. A president who gets up every day just to keep the promises that he made to the American people. And I'll tell you, it is the greatest privilege of my life to be vice president to President Donald Trump. President Trump is my friend. <laughs> there was even that time that Pence was such a sycophant that after his boss put his water bottle on the floor, Pence had to do the same. But all of that was before his dear leader incited a mob on Capitol Hill that literally chanted, hang Mike Pence and brought a noose to do it with. Sure, sure, sure. Forgive and forget, right? But Pence's behavior is just a symptom of a larger problem. A Republican Party that has leased out its soul to kooks and conspiracy theorists and white supremacist mobs just to soothe the former president's ego. And that's before and after he lost the election. And that, that is the absolute worst tonight. Take Ron Johnson, R. Coosbane, who, as I mentioned this evening, is now trying to pretend that it was fake Trump supporters, not the chubby, friendly, real ones who led the riot. But it goes beyond that revisionist history. Republicans are also using this opportunity to do retroactively exactly what those MAGA insurrectionists demanded to suppress the votes of black and other non-white and young and liberal voters across the country. So no Republican ever has to worry about losing again because only the right people will get to vote. Yes, vote suppressing Republicans who are affirming the goals of the January 6th Capitol siege are the absolute worst. The Brennan Center reports that state lawmakers have carried over, pre-filed, or introduced 253 bills with provisions that restrict voting access. And it's such an important topic for them that there are seven different sessions at this year's CPAC on, quote, protecting elections, including one with the baffling title, failed states, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada. Oh, my. CPAC is also the stage for the latest drama between pro-Trump lackeys and the few Republicans who don't support him. And that divide was illustrated in a truly awkward moment on Capitol Hill today. And that is up next. Do you believe President Trump should be speaking, or former President Trump should be speaking at CPAC this weekend? Yes, he should. Congresswoman Cheney? Uh, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which, following the extent to which, following January 6th, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note, thank you all very much. <laughs> that awkward exchange between House leadership is the Republican Party. In a nutshell right now, joining me now is Alex Wagner, co-host and executive producer of Showtime's The Circus, and David Jolly, former Republican congressman who is no longer affiliated with the party. Alex, there's a, the tweet that Jim Jordan sent out after that extremely awkward moment said, 
President Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. Bleh. I mean, it's it is hilarious to watch your thoughts. <laughs> it was like you expected a giant cane to pull Liz Cheney off stage. Like, <laughs> don't say that, lady. But it it is, it is like chef's kiss, the GOP in a nutshell, the tension between the Republicans who understand the power of the base, the fact that 80% of the party still has Trump 2020 signs in its front yard, and Liz Cheney, who represents a moderate establishment, I can't believe I'm saying anyone with the last name Cheney represents moderate anything, but that's where we are right now, who represents a hope that the Republican Party can get out from underneath the shadow of President Trump and move forward into the light. The fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, politically speaking, Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy are probably playing the more winning hand in all of this because the Republican Party is very much still the party of Donald J. Trump. I I have said it before. I will say it again. Um, You know, I honestly think, David, that in, in the real world, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates like probably have more power and more of a shot at being speaker in, in many ways than McCarthy because McCarthy his the, the pain in his face as he's looking like awkward 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 oh, yeah. putting me in awkward position Liz Cheney please stop you know I mean he doesn't control anything in that party here's who, who controls it Politico had a morning consult a hypothetical GOP primary poll Trump fifty four percent game over absolutely. Your thoughts? No, that's absolutely right, Joy. Look, what you're seeing in Kevin McCarthy is someone who's desperate to be Speaker of the House. Recall he thought he was going to be Speaker when Boehner resigned. The conference, including myself, didn't support him. Everything he has done since then has been to try to cobble together votes to be the next Speaker. He'll do whatever a member asks of him. He's desperate to be Speaker. But I think we can observe what Republicans are doing in this first 60 days or so after Trump, and we're seeing three identities develop. You've got McCarthy and Scalise going to Mar-a-Lago, kissing the ring. They're all in with Trump. You've got Mitch McConnell and the Liz Cheney's, who I joke, it's it's almost like the ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Trump's dead to them dead. <laughs> they agree they're going to coexist, but they're not going to work together. And then we saw the lessons of Nikki Haley, who actually had the audacity to think she could elbow Trump out of the way, but take his coalition with her. And she got burned. And every Republican saw that. And I think that lane that Nikki Haley tried to create is all but gone now, at least for the next year or two. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. I mean, but, but Alex, she did that. She gives this whole interview that she knows is getting written down. And then she tries to run down to Donald Trump and, like, make friends. Like, that's not how that works. Can we put this, put, put that back up again? The, the political morning consult poll. Look where, look where Ted Cancun Cruz is in that poll. <laughs> well, Baby, you're at 3%. Yeah. You think that sucking up to Donald Trump is getting you something? You had half Nikki Haley. Even the sun is only at six, Alex. They're, this isn't getting them anywhere. None of them are going to be president. Well, it's because this isn't actually just about Donald Trump. It's about Trumpism. And I think we often make the mistake that we say it's about Trump versus everyone else. Trumpism represents a, st- a strain of fear and paranoia and xenophobia that the Republican Party has been sowing in mainstream circles, in mainstream outlets, 
for the better part of it, at least a decade. I mean, if you want to get seriously historical about it, you could probably look back to Ronald Reagan and his vilification of the quote unquote welfare queen, right? This has been going on for a mm -hmm. long time. Donald Trump took all of that electricity and got lightning in a bottle. But the reason he remains on top is because he's best articulated this, this sort of Republican paranoid worldview, and people believe in that. If they are not going to turn on him overnight, and that is why everyone else is polling in the single digits. The Republican, Party, the Republican Party is being given an opportunity to reconcile the sins of the past in this hour. But the truth is, if they actually want to turn the page, it is going to take several election cycles, if not a generation, to get back into the light. You know, and David, the other thing that they are leaving out of their calculations is that Donald Trump also had like two decades of mainstream fame to bring to the table. Yeah. He had a hit TV show. I didn't watch it, but everybody watched The Apprentice. People knew of him as a non-political character who was just a goof and a character. He didn't seem threatening, but he was famous. Donald Trump Jr. may think he's famous and his name is the same, but you're not famous. Ted yeah. Cruz, you're not famous. They're not in the same way. They don't have the they don't have access to mainstream culture the way Donald Trump used to. So they can't repeat what he did. Yeah, and they don't have the grip of the party. You know, Joy, I used to say the disaster scenario for Republicans was Trump would lose and then decide to run in 24 and it would break the party in half. <laughs> I was wrong. I mean, the polls show that this is still Donald Trump's party. I think the wild card in those numbers is whether he gets indicted. And if he gets indicted, whether he's found liable or even criminally culpable. And what I mean by that is an indictment might actually help Donald Trump going into 2024 because of what Alex said. It's this form of grievance populism. It's Trump and Trumpism against the world. But should he face significant legal jeopardy, a loss of freedom, then we are in a situation where somebody has to replace Trump. I think in the GOP, the person that can can grab Trumpism and be successful with it is the one that can approach it through the lens of responsible populism. Donald Trump practices irresponsible, dangerous populism. But the Republican candidate that can seize the populist thread of Donald Trump's ideology or non-ideology, if you will, and turn it into a responsible doctrine for Republicans, that may be the future of the Republican Party. And that may be the candidate that could emerge in 24 if Trump doesn't run. They all think it's them. Chinless Josh Hawley, all of them. He's like out there fist pumping the people like, yeah, made the Capitol. It, it doesn't make any sense. Lest we bring the Democrats into it for just one moment, um, Alex, I have to go back to this thing about the parliamentarian. Earlier, Ron Klain was on um, and he said that they're going to listen to the parliamentarian when it comes to the $15 an hour minimum wage. This is a very crucial, like, bottom line issue for people like those in the Poor People's Campaign and others who are really fighting for this and a lot of, you know, lower wage workers who need this. There are there is a history of people ignoring the parliamentarian. 2001, Trent Lott dismissed Robert Dove, the Senate parliamentarian, after Republicans were angry that the Republican appointee disallowed spending measures as violating the Byrd rule. It's happened before. Nelson Rockefeller, Vice President Nelson Rockefeller did it in 1975. They can't ignore the parliamentarian and the vice president can overrule the parliamentarian. They're saying they won't do it. Do you think Democrats are at risk of not playing the way Republicans would play in their place? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but I think, look, I think we have to give credit to the fact that Joe Biden has even made this minimum wage raise part of this broader relief package. That signals that they are ready to fight for some serious progressive values. Now, I think when it comes to the procedural elements of all of this, I am not sure that Joe Biden is the guy that's going to overrule the, the Senate parliamentarian. I mean, just quite honestly, I think the White House is not going to direct Democrats 
Democrats to, to fight procedural rule on this, given the fact that they're planning on passing major projects like infrastructure, maybe by reconciliation. We have a lot of indications yeah. that say Biden is going to go hard. He has his, his foot on the pedal and they are not going to stop at 60 miles per hour. Yeah. Last question to you, David. The optics of Republicans very openly and vocally fighting basically just the women and people of color and then saying, you know, Liz Cheney says they shouldn't be the party of white supremacy. But, you know, what do you do if that's your plan? Just fight the women and the people of color. Yeah, look, even if you take the even if you take the Liz Cheney approach that Republicans are not the party of white supremacy, they're the party of white people. And I think that's what you see on display in these hearings. The contrast is very loud to communities of color. As as you well know, Joy, this is not a message that falls on deaf ears among people of color across America. It's one of the great liabilities Republicans have politically for a generation to come. Yeah, and people will never forget it. Alex Wagner, David Jolly, y'all are great. Thank you very much. And still ahead, Trump's postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, says he's not going anywhere and we should just get used to his ongoing campaign to dismantle the U.S. postal system. So what does that mean for your mail and your packages? We're back after this. Six months to the day since he last testified before the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy was back defending his leadership of the Postal Service. With a new plan for an overhaul that could lead to slower mail and postage rate hikes, he was hard-pressed to explain how that would improve service. One thing he did feel confident about was that he was going to remain the Postmaster General under this new administration. Finally, Mr. DeJoy, you're a political appointee, a holdover. Um, no one knows how much longer your board... That's, that's incorrect. I'm not a political appointee. I was selected by a bipartisan board of governors, and I would really appreciate if you would get that straight. Well, it, how much longer are you planning to stay? A uh, long time. Get used to me. Not so fast, DeJoy. Today, President Biden announced three nominees to the Postal Service Board of Governors, which would give Democrats majority control and with it the power to fire Mr. DeJoy and name a new Postmaster General. Joining me now is NBC News White House correspondent Jeff Bennett. All right, Jeff, who are these nominees uh, that uh, are being added, added to the board or being nominated for the board? Yeah, well, these three folks include Anton Hajar. He is the former general counsel for a leading postal workers union. You've got Amber McReynolds. She's a voting rights advocate. And Ron Stroman. And let me tell you about Mr. Stroman, Joy, because until two weeks before DeJoy was installed under President Trump, Ron Stroman was the deputy postmaster general. He was the highest ranking African-American in the history of the Postal Service, but he stepped down uh, largely because, I'm told, he didn't like the political interference that he was seeing from Donald Trump and Steve Mnuchin. And so now, if he is confirmed by the Senate, he will effectively be Louis DeJoy's boss. And so on the same day that you saw the Postmaster General testifying defiantly about how he was going to move forward with his plan, his new strategic plan, which I'm told would lead to slower service and higher rates, the White House basically cut him off at the pass by overhauling the governing leadership of the Postal Service. And that is the way, if the White House so chooses, and if this board so chooses, DeJoy would be pushed to the exits. And just to be clear, these seats were open really since the Obama administration. Why, why were there so many seats left open? 
There were vacancies. And the way it worked was that under Donald Trump, at least for the last two years or so, that board was basically comprised of Trump appointees, mostly uh, older white men who had banking backgrounds. None of them had direct experience working within the Postal Service before they were appointed to this board. And so that's one of the reasons why when the Postmaster General was making these policy changes that were resulting in service delays, rank and file postal workers could have told you from the from the jump <laughs> that it was going to create the kind of slowdowns that we've seen this summer and that have persisted to this very day. People all across the country are still getting yeah. holiday mail that was sent before December that's now arriving in February. And then beyond that, you've also got these I, delays yeah. with medications and, and paychecks and a whole host of things. And so this was a persistent problem. Those vacancies had been there. And now the Biden administration is trying to overhaul the entire thing, Joy. I got to let the audience hear Andy Biggs, a congressman. He is an actual congressman attempting to explain his version of why there were postal service delays. Take a listen. I want to discuss some of the 2020 events that affected the postal service's ability to deliver mail in a timely fashion. And no, they don't have to do with COVID-19. Last year, our Democrat colleagues turned a blind eye to nationwide mayhem, destruction, rioting, and looting conducted by Black Lives Matter and Antifa activists. Many businesses and government agencies, including the Postal Service, saw their entities burn and operations halted because of the persistent violent riots. Uh, Biggs also said Democrats should apologize to DeJoy for that. For, but it, it, listen, the delays were caused by DeJoy's, by what DeJoy did. That is an actual fact. You did the reporting on this. That's the fact, right? That is a fact. Antifa was not involved in any sort of service slowdown <laughs> connected to the U.S. Postal Service. What it had to do with, largely it had to do with the pandemic. Uh, the Postal Service, like many other industries, had really been decimated. There were uh, staffing shortages. And then compounded by that were DeJoy's plans to cut overtime and to you know pull from postal yep. facilities sorting machines. And so it had this compounding effect. And now the Postal Service is still trying to dig out from underneath the avalanche of holiday mail. So, no, it had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter, nor did it have anything to do with Antifa. <laughs> I swear Republicans' kids, when they don't clean their room, are like, Antifa and Black Lives Matter is why I don't, didn't clean my room. Jeff Bennett, thank you very much. for They're the ones who made my room messy. Uh, that is tonight's readout. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply.